All right. Good morning, everybody. We're going to go ahead and get started. Uh, it's it's nice to be able to do this. This is certainly doesn't compare with uh, a normal time of gathering for worship, but but we will use it for what it is. Um, so let me open us with a word of prayer before I go into today's sermon. Dear Lord, I just want to thank you uh, that we do have these capabilities of, of even on a snowy morning like this, be, still being able to to meet in some capacity, Lord. I pray that uh, your your word would be present with us, Lord, that you would speak into our lives uh, through it. And I just thank you for the opportunity uh, that we have to be your people. I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The past couple of winters leading up to Easter, we have worked our way through the book of Exodus. This book tells the story of God keeping his loving promises by redeeming the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. In 2022, we started at the beginning of the book and went through Passover. We saw how the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross was prefigured in the events of Passover thousands of years before. In 2023, we moved forward from there with the Israelites as they entered the desert wilderness. There, God saved them from the Egyptians at the Red Sea. He saved them from from dehydration and starvation throughout their desert travels. And we also saw through the end of that how God's people, we need an intermediary. The Israelites needed an intermediary, as do we, and that Jesus is that intermediary. In the coming months, we're going to return to the book of Exodus again, whereas in previous years, we have moved through an average of 10 chapters in a 10 to 12 week series in the book of Exodus. This this time, we're actually going to move through one chapter in a 10 to 12 week series. That chapter is the 20th chapter of the book of Exodus. For those of you that have high Bible knowledge, you probably know that, that is the chapter in which the Ten Commandments are, can, are contained. So in the coming months, we are going to be moving through those Ten Commandments sequentially. Now, some of you may be thinking, oh man, like, oh, this is going to be a drag. This is going to be a, a tough series to make it through. I'm really excited about this because one of the best sermon series I've ever personally sat through was a sermon series on the Ten Commandments. I think we're going to, I think we're going to benefit uh, a lot uh, from this. I just got a text from Jackie saying that the audio and video on this YouTube live uh, look and sound good. So that's encouraging because I'm always a little bit suspicious uh, of the technology. But what we will see as we go through this chapter is we will both see our need for Jesus Christ and also how Jesus calls us to live as God's covenant people. So if you would turn with me now to the 20th chapter of Exodus, we're going to read three brief verses. That's Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 3. Hear the word of the Lord. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of 
of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Amen. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. If the Israelites or any other person followed this command given by God completely, they would be perfect. Every sin at its root involves not recognizing God as preeminent in a person's life. God communicates what is necessary for us to know. We should listen. God speaks with love and authority. When we have no other gods before God, we are able to align our lives with all that he commands. Prioritizing God above all else is the way we avoid sin and embrace righteousness. Prioritizing God starts by listening when he speaks. This was true in the Old Testament when God spoke to the Israelites at the base of Mount Sinai. It is true for us today. We should take a minute to recognize that God speaking is unusual for at least two really big reasons. First, God is capable of speaking. Most of what people refer to as God is just a figment of their imagination. It is a personified wish that is really just the person's own intellect, their subconscious, telling them what they want to hear. In the Old Testament, these fabricated gods or deities were associated with different things. There would be a wooden or metal idol that the god or goddess was supposed to reside within. These idols were dumb. I'm not saying that the people that worshipped them were dumb, although worshipping an idol does make a person foolish. I'm saying what the Bible is saying. A false god or idol is dumb in the original sense of the word. It actually cannot speak. Psalm 135, 15 through 18 says, The idols of the nations are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see, they have ears but cannot hear, nor is there breath in their mouths. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. The gods humans create can't speak, although there are plenty of people that will gladly act as if their own inclinations are actually God. The true God is a living being with thoughts that are separate from our own. He is not a force or a figment of our imagination. God has thoughts that he communicates to us who he created. The second unusual thing about God speaking is that he is interested in speaking to people. Modern people don't find it weird that God is interested in speaking with them. This is very much a product of Christianity's success. 
When you take a moment to think about the fact that God makes the effort to speak to us, to speak to people, it is really hard to fathom. The creator of the entire universe who oversees the snow falling from the sky, who has made everything, wants to be in a relationship with us, with people who he has created. Psalm 8 marvels that God deigns to communicate with people. The psalmist asks, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Christians believe a lot of things that are hard for non-believers to fathom. Our belief that God speaks to people may be one of the most extreme things we believe that most modern people don't recognize as extreme. If Bill Belichick or some other famous person called you out of the blue and said he wanted to speak to you, it would be one of the most momentous occasions of your life. You would wonder why Coach Belichick wanted to speak to you and why he even cared that you existed. God speaking to people is exponentially harder to fathom. God speaks because he can and because he wants to speak to people he has created. God continues to speak to people today. One way he does so is through his word, the scriptures he inspired, which we refer to as the Bible. The Bible is both infallible and inerrant. Infallibility means that the Bible will not lead us astray. If we live as it commands, we will be living as God intended. According to the Westminster Dictionary of Theological Terms, infallibility is the belief that the Bible is completely trustworthy as a guide to salvation, and the life of faith will not fail to accomplish its purpose. Inerrancy is related to infallibility. This is the belief that the Bible is without fault or error in all its teaching. Those who believe in biblical inerrancy do so with the understanding that the Bible cannot be held to modern standards of factual reporting. That's not what inerrancy means in this situation. For example, when the Bible says 12,000 were killed in a battle, that doesn't necessarily mean that exact number were killed. It means about 12,000 people were killed. 3,000 years ago, they just weren't as focused on specific numbers as we are today. Another way that God speaks to us today is through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is at work in the heart of every Christian. He helps us to rightly understand what the Bible tells us. He helps us to apply it in the many challenges we face in life. We all know that the Bible tells us to love our neighbor. But what that means in practice is often unclear. We rely on the Holy Spirit working in us to understand what God is saying to us. 
The Holy Spirit testifies to us about God and Jesus, as well as through the Holy Spirit, that we know Jesus. It is by the Holy Spirit we experience God. When God speaks, whether through his word or spirit, we should listen. God speaks with authority. Our world is filled with a lot of people that have a lot to say. One of the downsides of our current moment in history is that basically everyone thinks that their thoughts are worth sharing with others. It is incredibly easy to communicate with, with even very large audiences. You can go on social media. You can create your own podcast. This has led to this sense that people have that every thought they have is worth sharing. It's worth telling to others. There's no sense that, that we should keep our mouths shut unless we have the insight, the experience, the education, whatever it might be, to speak well on a certain topic. Because our world is filled with people expressing their half-baked ideas on everything from sports to politics to faith, we are not really used to hearing people speak authoritatively. Most people don't have much experience in their life of someone saying something to them that they must listen to. In our society, many parents don't speak to their kids with authority. Many bosses make suggestions to their employees more than they tell them how it is going to be. In general, we are very used to only listening to people that tell us what we want to hear. Everyone else we can disregard. In verse 2 of today's text, God says, I am the Lord your God. The authority of God to be listened to is not up for debate. God reigns over all creation. Every individual person must listen to him. When God speaks, he has an expectation of being listened to. God knows all. There's no information that lies outside of his experience. He is the Lord. God, the authoritative Lord, speaks to people with love. In today's verses, God is talking to the Israelites who he brought out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. This was an act of covenantal love. God had promised Abraham he would care for his descendants. The descendants of Abraham had been in Egypt for 400 years. God shows up to redeem his people. As we have moved through the Exodus narrative, we have seen how God's redemption of the Israelites out of Egypt foreshadows Jesus' redemption of us out of our spiritual slavery. God sent Jesus into the world because he loves people. This is the most basic teaching of Christianity. God speaking with love means he speaks for the benefit of the people 
He is redeemed. That includes you and I. God is not just talking because he is on a power kick or because he can. God is not insecure about his authority. He doesn't need to be validated in this way. God speaks to people out of deep love for them. We would do well to listen. We benefit by aligning our lives with God's perfect knowledge. Today, when God speaks, he does so through the Bible or the Holy Spirit. If we want to know what God has to say, we will invest in listening to the revelation God makes available to us. The first thing the all-powerful God wants the people of Israel and us to listen to at the beginning of Exodus 20 is, you shall have no other gods before me. This command, the first of the Ten Commandments God gives, is the basis for all that follows. The Israelites, they had a plethora of gods to choose from. They left Egypt less, a, less than a year before these verses after a 400-year stay. They knew the many gods of the Egyptians. They had worshipped these gods. We look back on the gods of the ancient world with the knowledge these gods weren't real. The Israelites didn't know this. There's plenty of evidence from the book of Exodus that they believed gods other than the God of Israel existed. They believed these gods had real power. It was not a given for them that the God of Israel was the best option for them to listen to. When God says, you shall have no other gods before me, he is making an exclusive claim. He is saying, I am the one you should look to for information on how to live in every area of your life. I am the one you should listen to. Pagan gods had authority over spheres of influence. In Egypt, the god known as Happy controlled the flood of the Nile. Neper oversaw grain. Isis dealt with motherhood. People at the time went to different gods depending on the issues they needed resolved. The god of the Bible, the god of Israel, is establishing himself as supreme with this command, he is saying that he is the source of all. The Israelites don't need to look elsewhere when they have needs. They shouldn't look anywhere else to know how to live. The God of Israel is the absolute source of all. This was a radical claim for God to make at the time. There was no absolute. It varied depending on the God a person followed. If God is absolutely supreme, then what he says goes. This first of the Ten Commandments, to have no other gods before the one true God, is the commandment that the other nine build upon. 
Without it, the commands would apply only selectively when the individual thought that the God of Israel was the best option in the circumstance. That is not the case. This first command is foundational. The command to have no other gods may seem an easy one for Christians to fulfill today. After all, we don't live in a society with a host of gods to choose from like the Israelites did. I, I guess we could convert to Hinduism, but that is not something most of us have ever really considered doing. The truth is this command to have no other gods is as hard for us today as it was for the Israelites in the distant past. We don't have hundreds of gods or even thousands. We have millions and billions. In Western culture, every person is encouraged to be their own god. In the past, when they had various gods that people could choose from, people chose the god that aligned with their preferences or needs. Modern people, we have, we have cut out the middleman. We no longer look for gods that align with our preferences. We treat our preferences as gods. The supreme God of the present moment is the individual. What do you want? What do you believe is right for you? What is your identity? These are the questions that our society tells us to answer to know how to live. You are the only person that has ultimate authority to speak into your own life. Love is letting everyone be their own God. Anyone that tries to tell another person how to live is encroaching on their autonomy. This is an unloving thing to do. This is one of the reasons, if not the main reason, God is so unpopular in the present moment. But God says, you shall have no other gods before me. That means we cannot put ourselves above God. We have to submit to his authority and love. If we do not, we are denying God. We are breaking his command. The root of sin is human pride that seeks to place us on God's level or even above. The, the person who breaks this first commandment cannot help but break the commandments that follow. Every person has broken this first commandment except one. Jesus kept all the commandments given by God, starting with this one. God the Father was always foremost in his heart and mind. In John 14, 31, Jesus says, I do as the Father commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Jesus never put himself or anything else before God. This obedience to God's command is the basis for our righteousness. Jesus' perfect obedience is the mean by, means by which we are forgiven for our disobedience. 
Romans 5 describes how Jesus fulfilling all aspects of the law is the basis for being made right with God. Beginning in verse 18 of Romans 5, Paul writes, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus' obedience makes our obedience to God's commands possible. We participate in his righteousness. We are made right through him. The commands God gives in the Ten Commandments and elsewhere are commands we can keep because we have been made right with God through Jesus Christ. This capability does not mean we will always succeed. We will fall short. Whereas our obedience falters, Jesus' obedience never does. The perfect obedience of Jesus Christ is applied to us as we move forward in grace given to us that makes obedience possible for all of us. As Christians, we rejoice in the grace that incorporates us into Jesus' obedience. As we aspire to be obedient through that grace to all that God speaks to us, beginning with this first command, beginning with the command that we should have no other gods before God, the God of Israel, the God of the Bible. It is through grace that we can be obedient, that we can be obedient to the command for God to be preeminent in our lives. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you again for this uh, opportunity that's possible for us to to gather together uh, digitally, even if it's not even if it's not what it would be if we were gathered together in person, Lord. We recognize the. Um, that it's not the same, but we thank you nonetheless that it is possible. I pray that you would be with everyone today, Lord, uh, just uh, for safety and that there'd be no weather-related issues. But, but even more than that, Lord, that we would consider today how you should be preeminent in our lives, that we would hear this command that you have given us through your word, and we would act on it in the grace that you have given us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.